Pharma Ventures, the deal experts. Welcome to this edition of the Pharma Ventures podcast. My name is Adrian Dawkes. In this edition, we're talking about the future of diagnostics and the impact on deals. Joining me on today's show is Andreas Katsiamidis, um, associate of Pharma Ventures. Good to be here, Adrian. Andrea, welcome. So we're, we're talking diagnostics today. I can recall several new dawns for diagnostics, if you like, where there was going to be FDA uh, changes in the in the regulations, and everybody thought, right, this is it. Diagnostics is going to lead the way now. And I'm I'm going back um, early two thousands here, so almost twenty years, and it never quite happened. There was a lot of of enthusiasm. Everybody thought, okay, this is this is going to be it. We're diagnostics to the fore. Diagnostics is going to be leading the way medicine is practiced, and we still don't seem to be there. Although there's kind of the soundings that we might be going near there if we think about, you know, companies like Grail and Gardent and Foundation Medicine, the personalised medicine space, oncology focus, I know, but we, we can come on to other areas. We seem, maybe, are we there again? Are we about to, to herald a new, a new dawn for diagnostics? What do you think? Yeah, um, I would say generally with the um, amount of data that we generate now with, uh, with different methodologies, um, molecular biology techniques and so on. I think we now we are at a position where we can identify certain biomarkers that can support the kind of um, uh, clinical diagnosis. Um, we are not 100% there yet. I think the space has started to move towards that direction. Um, uh, and, and there are many kind of um, uh, add-on to that. Uh, we we are seeing uh, you know different technologies within that uh, PCR testing. We we see um, um, NGS techniques. We we see AI. So it all kind of moves towards a more uh, patient centric approach. I would say. Right. One of the big issues with diagnostics is you have to understand the biology to know what to measure mm-hmm. in order to be related to the, the disease and the the what do we measure usually comes out of understanding the, the, the biological pathways um, in elucidating targets for therapeutics. So they kind of go hand in hand and diagnostics follows the, 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 the therapeutics. You do get surrogate biomarkers where you're measuring something else which is reflective of the disease process. So are we getting to a point where it's diagnostics that is actually determining by the, you talked about molecular biology and PCR. So it, it's diagnostic that's saying actually it's these mutations that are important in this disease or this resultant uh, protein or receptor level or, or whatever that is that is the thing that that is the hallmark of this disease. Not necessarily that is that happening or are we still are we still followers? I think it's it's a very complicated uh, question to answer, but. Um, for me, the, the most important thing that we have to, uh, to address is, are we getting the right biomarkers? We, we might have some indications, but we, we're not looking at potentially single point mutations, we're looking at one protein or, or um, something along those lines. But I think the overall space should be more uh, holistic. There are different uh, you know, parts at play here that we, we might want to address. And we don't have enough data to, to make it you know, a, a reliable conclusion on that at this point, right? We are evolving, we are getting more data around it. So we, we might be going at a kind of a more uh, comprehensive overview, I would say, across that. Well, let's take Grail as an example. Um, interesting company. There's just been a 
well, part part one of a, a big trial run here in the U, the UK with the NHS, where they screened for a whole slew of of genetic mutations, looking to pick up pre symptomatic pre presentation indications of cancer. That is the holy grail of of uh, cancer detection, essentially, right? Yeah. Be, be in a position to identify certain markers within a within a uh, within a, an individual that can suggest or indicate a, a risk of, of cancer. And Grail is, is one company that is doing that. Again, uh, they focus on data. They, their assays kind of continually, continuously improve. Uh, and it remains to be seen. Therein lies another, another point of debate, if you like. If diagnostics wants to be the, we uh, inform where medicine should be practiced and how it should be practiced, you have to have the medicine to practice afterwards. So it's, it's, it's one thing identifying an apparently healthy patient who wouldn't present to a GP or a, a hospital lab typically today because they don't have any symptoms, but going, ah, yeah, you've got the early signs of this cancer. Have we, have we got the drugs to do anything about Because that's what diagnostics, if you boil it right down to it, it's about I generate some data, I do something with it. Yeah. I'm generating data, but I can't do anything with it. What's the data useful for? For cancer in, in particular, and what Grail is trying to do and other companies like Grail is that they, they're trying to identify these otherwise healthy individuals and, you know, um, put them in a, in, a, in a situation where they can be treated for cancer without any pharmaceuticals potentially. They, they can um, go under some type of, you know, uh, surgeries or anything along those lines that pharmaceuticals might not even be needed, right? So... That is a holy grail, if, if, if you like, right, mm-hmm. in, in, um, in, in cancer. Um, and, and that is potentially with additional data, better assays, more sensitive assays down the line, we might get there. Um, and there are different technologies that are at play that can kind of support that. You are, you are looking at, like Grail, looking at epigenomic biomarkers that are, you know, being utilised, you're looking at other type of technologies like infrared spectroscopy that are trying to address certain unmet needs there, radiomics, you're looking at microRNAs again um, as, as potential biomarkers within that. And um, all of those approaches are trying to achieve that, identify cancer or indications of, of cancer early on and prevent any um, therapeutics need, if you like, down the line. I mean, I, I get the... If you don't have to intervene pharmacologically, that's a good thing. Um, but if there is a, if there is cancer there, you want to get rid of it somehow. And whether that's done uh, mechanically by chopping it out, which is very old school, or you've got some targeted therapy, which is where people are going, which for for uh, minimal residual disease, which normally comes after th- surgery, when we may see it going just to, to look for minimal disease is what we're eradicating. Again... It comes down to there's there's an issue here with we're at the sort of limits of sensitivity at the moment and and some of these um, diagnostics um, where they're looking for circulating DNA or, or um, uh, nucleic acids or uh, mRNA whatever they're looking for in minute amounts that a 10 mil blood drawer actually isn't enough there's not enough in there for them to be able to find it with current methodologies so. Either they have to take an armful out of somebody or to get there. And I think this isn't, I think people think this is just a little uh, bit of blood in a tube and they can find anything they could possibly find. So A, there are technical considerations that, are, that need to be overcome that are limiting this. But also still, you find it, what do you do about it? Unless we get to the point where you find it and 
and, and this is a, a where kind of foundation medicine was kind of I heard somebody pitch this a few years ago saying we've kind of got enough medicines out there if we use them in combination to target a lot of things there's there's I don't know 300,000 combinations or maybe it's 3 million I don't know of existing drugs that are already approved uh, maybe we have a, a toolbox of drugs that are already would already do this if we could give the right drugs to the right people for the right reasons and I'm not sure we can do any of those three can we <laughs> yeah I mean you're, you're absolutely correct uh, there, there's a big push right now um, to not only uh, you know find the drugs to to treat certain diseases but also find um you know, the, the right drugs at the right time that to, to administer to patients. And that, that's where uh, minimal uh, residual disease monitoring comes into play. You, you mentioned uh, CTDNA monitoring, right? Um, that's, that's something that a lot of companies are, are looking at. You're, you're looking at uh, potentially Natera, Garden. Um, those, those players are, are trying to develop assays that can be used longitudinally. So they, they can be used at, at different time points within the um, treatment paradigm, right? And that can inform whether the treatment is uh, effective for, for the patient, whether there's some type of um, evolving resistance to a particular therapeutic. So all of this information is, is, is really important to, to be aware of. Yeah. I, I'm not against that. And, mm. and it sounds like I'm, I'm saying this isn't a good idea. No, it's a good idea. We do have to mm. get better and more sensitive assays that, that elucidate... Um, what are what is is the 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 key issues here, and how do we treat patients better with existing drugs or new drugs, or diagnostics working hand in hand with with therapeutics is the way to find the things that are going to tell us whether to treat a patient and find the things to treat them with. So this brings me to the next point, which is how do diagnostics companies make money? Um, because it's always been the poorer cousin of therapeutics. Companies are very willing to take significant risk on um, potential therapeutic assays and pay millions and millions for them, albeit contingent on certain things happening. We see it every day in press releases, deal values of over a billion for the, the next phase one, fourth generation TKI to treat lung cancer, um, if it succeeds. We never see those sort of numbers and deals associated with diagnostics. It's quite different, isn't it, the deal, deal space for diagnostics? Yeah, definitely. Um, whether that would change, though, uh, it again, it's um, it remains to be seen, right? Um, the, 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 the space might be moving towards a direction where companies start to acknowledge the potential value of, of diagnostics early on, right? How that can save money, you know, for, for healthcare systems, uh, in, in many countries. If you can have an efficient diagnostics system or, or workflow, that could lead to significant savings across healthcare systems. And I think we, we're starting to acknowledge that even more in, in um, recent years, um, how uh, sensitive tests can worth a lot of, you know, have a high value uh, moving forward. And that could change the kind of landscape of, of the deal values that, that we see in, in diagnostics as a whole. We need to see the drivers for it. And and we know that the healthcare systems in, in certainly in Western markets and elsewhere cannot cope um, within the, under the current model. Um, but all the value lies in the drugs. So there's no, there's no incentive 
in the, the practice of, of, of healthcare medicine to particularly to change the model. But there is an incentive from the payers, and payers now seem to have a much greater amount of power in determining what makes it to market even, what will get paid for, from a therapeutic standpoint. For, di- for diagnostics, for years, they've been happy to almost give them away. Um, and, you know, the most expensive diagnostics probably only cost, like some of the molecular tests cost 1000 or $2,000, nothing in comparison to the treatments. Mm-hmm. So maybe the push has to come from from the payers and the insurers um, that instead of that, that we're happy to ration healthcare, but the rationing is done on the basis of the diagnostics. So we're rationing it because we're going to give treatments that work, and therefore diagnostics has to to play a more important role. I, I may be crystal ball gazing here, somewhat into the dim and distant future. Well, I know. What do you think? I think definitely. If if you have a uh, diagnostic system in place that can go hand in hand with the with the therapeutic and could ultimately lead to lower treatment costs as a whole uh, that that can have uh, significant benefits across the board for um, uh, you know healthcare systems even in, you know for, for the patient them, uh, themselves as well um, but yeah, I think now uh, we are at at a in in a position both in the US and in and, and Europe where we have specific guidelines right now. This, this type of guidelines are being uh, developed that will support uh, more kind of a efficient reimbursement, market access. Uh, that That's something that is coming, especially with the um, uh, new uh, IVDR regulations. Um, we might start to see more of that. You're listening to the Final Ventures podcast, where we're talking about the future of diagnostics and the impact on deals. What about things like, you know, 23andMe came out years ago and it was, hey, get your get your, your entire genome screened and, and we might be at risk of, a greater risk of a few diseases here and there. Now, the, the, the technology has moved on and Nanopore, um, uh, a... a rapidly heading towards you know a very affordable whole genome screening secondarily to that it it's about the data as well what direction are we going in are we going in masses of data to find out things that we're then going to apply to individuals or are we going in the let's treat individuals as individuals i don't know where we are do you i mean again hard uh, question to answer but overall um i would say uh, the space is headed to uh, the acquisition of of more data a company that has um, a robust data set or a, a database that can uh, that that in, informs not only on you know patients uh, molecular makeup but also linked to patient outcomes those companies will be at a competitive advantage right we are in a in a era now where uh, there are predictive models out there that can uh, identify patterns or make uh, any uh, connections to outcomes uh, that are not really apparent to to humans, right? You're so, talking AI now, so you're, exactly. I, I think you're avoiding using the word AI because it's so popular that everybody sticks yeah. AI in front of everything, and it suddenly becomes worth ten times what it was worth. But before. that's that's true, though. I mean, we we have a lot of companies now that have you know are, are investing in in this sort of uh, technologies, um, and it can add value. Uh, we we have been seeing a lot of companies um, developing these this algorithms that can support interpretation of data, right? All of this comes through the, the analysis and evaluation of, of, um, of data 
and cannot uh, significant value to, to clinicians. We, we have seen that across the board um, uh, with, with different software. We have seen this in digital pathology now uh, where you, you have companies developing software complementing manual approaches, right? Uh, it's it's all it, it all goes hand in hand in how these technologies can be applied, how these technologies can can support the patient at the end of the day. So it's going to be complementary, time saving, um, effort saving, correct? Um, but not it's not going to replace. No, I I doubt it's going to we we're going to see a, a total replacement of of the traditional methodologies. It's more headed towards the the complementarity of it as a support system and giving, uh, you know, a, a, you know, confidence to clinicians to, you know, for, for their uh, analysis and recommendations to the patient. Uh, it's, it's headed towards that direction. And to that end, we, we have seen um, a uh, few deals recently where uh, companies are, are trying to make certain, um, uh, let's say, high throughput technologies or, you know, like whole genome sequencing, whole exome sequencing more readily available to um, underserved populations. And I think that speaks to the fact that uh, this company are trying to secure data, right? And it, it, it all comes down to how they, they're going to use that data and, and how that can support, um, you know, treatment selection and so on. Okay. We've been sort of very sort of future looking and, and yeah. philosophical here let's let's bring it back to to talking about deals um because uh, that's what we do um and we do um licensing and MA transactions for, for diagnostics companies whether it's it's traditional in vitro diagnostics or molecular diagnostics or imaging technologies we get involved in all of those what what do you, what do you see in the deal space? What do you, where do you, where do you, where do deals happen for diagnosis? It's not like therapeutics companies, is it? They don't happen early on. The way that a traditional diagnostic company um, evolves, if you like, you you would first have these companies at an academic setting, usually. Um, then they they kind of develop a particular technology, particular assay, uh, based on a um, on a, you know a certain biomarker then you might start at that point see a technology transfer deal, right? Where you, you have a, a, an academic institution transferring that know-how to, to an, another company or potentially forming a, a, a spin-out company. And then that, that's where you, you might start to, uh, you know, see some collaborations taking place um, with, uh, you know, some bigger companies that, you know, have the resources to uh, support preclinical testing, support clinical testing down the line as well. Um, that's that's what you generally see with, with these sort of companies. So the deals that tend to be later. There's, there's not so much risk-taking in, in diagnostics as there is in therapeutics. Not not so much, no. And is that... So we, we may be in a circular argument here that you only get a deal once you get a, a, a diagnostic entity at or close to market. So you've done all the proving, you've proved you can measure something which is going to inform a clinical decision. Um, and that's what it does. It informs clinical decision. The clinician still makes the decision. They can only inform a clinical decision if you know that decision is about how do I treat a patient, what drugs do I have in my army. So it, it is inextricably linked to the drug. Otherwise, why are we doing it? But it's all, the drug always has to be there. It isn't a... Which is kind of what Grail are trying to do is, I don't know if there's a drug there. I'm going to measure something and... Um, 
if it says there's a, there's a problem, then we'll figure out how we're going to deal with it. Is that going to enable the deal space for diagnostics to change from its traditional situation where I'm measuring the thing people know they want to measure, I'm doing it better than other people or slightly more sensitive or in a combination with other things, therefore I've generated value, big diagnostics company or pharma company, do a deal with me. Are we going to get to a point where it's, it's flipping the other way and it's going, I can measure things you can't measure which are clinically valuable and it's not so... Im- it's a secondary importance that you can or you can't treat them today. or you could, But you can do something about it because otherwise there is no point. Yes, I, I totally agree with that point. And, and you, you mentioned sensitivity there. Uh, I think that is the key um, problem that these companies are trying to address. Creating assays that are sensitive enough that they can pick, uh, you know, uh, identify this this cancer very early on, you know, months before or, or even years before traditional approaches, that you don't necessarily need a, a therapeutic, a, a pharmaceutical to to treat this um, uh, condition. There, there are other other options out there. Farmer aren't going to want to hear that, by the way. Yeah, but that's 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 an option. And and once we we start to understand that there's a big market within that. I mean, some, some market reports have, have, have indicated that the early detection space, uh, it's uh, upwards of 100 billion US dollars, for example, right? That's a big market there. Well, it should be because you, if you're going to screen people who are not presenting as being ill, there's a whole lot more of those than there are people who Correct. actually take a drug. So the potential is huge. Exactly. And, and I think we, we start to realize that. And the, the more sensitive assays that we have at our disposal, then more people are, you know, would be willing to go go through that process and test earlier and you know address any any problem early on before it becomes untreatable or before you actually need to go through uh, long treatments and so on so that's that's a possibility in in potentially not the so distant future so that so smart investors and companies really ought to be piling into diagnostics right now because that's where the future value is really going to be correct and therapeutics will always be valuable but it'll be driven by diagnostics. That's a fair argument. I, I, I would agree with that. Whilst it today might not be the dawning of a new era for diagnostics, it isn't far off. The future's bright. There's a lot of value in diagnostics, um, potentially more so than therapeutics. When? Who knows? Um, but equally, you know, that people should be be looking more closely at it, doing deals earlier in it, um, and and generating more more value. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a fair statement. And, and we, we've been focusing on oncology in, in a, a lot of our discussion, and we, we are seeing some potential in other therapeutic areas as well, and that's coming, right? Oncology is a bit further ahead because we have uh, access to these biomarkers, so we know what to look for. Um, the, we, we are starting to, to see some indication in, in, other thera- in other therapeutic areas that there's a market and an untapped potential there as well, right? So it's not all about therapeutics anymore. It's about having a system in place to identify patients early uh, and and having a um, kind of a workflow that uh, supports that. And the obvious one is Alzheimer's, if, if we had a, an appropriate Correct. Uh, diagnostic for asymptomatic di- uh, Alzheimer's patients who could be treated and maintain a, a quality of life. So the, the, the burden on healthcare systems isn't as great as we all know it's going to be. There's, there's, there's a massive benefit to mankind and also a massive opportunity. Correct. And also uh, the cardiovascular disease space, right? Again, a, a huge area of high unmet need in the diagnostic space. So we don't know exactly what 
uh, you know, whether somebody is susceptible to, to, to certain, um, you know, uh, indications within that, right? But there have been deals in, in, even recently that are trying to elucidate some of that and, and answer those, those questions. So if we um, have a, uh, a, a robust kind of workflow that, you know, addresses that, that point, identify those biomarkers, then the potential in the space is, is huge. So having deals uh, early on supporting that type of initiative, I think it can be very lucrative for, uh, for potential companies that, that, that want to invest in the space. Okay, you heard it here first. Well, maybe not first, but you heard it here. Diagnostics is certainly a hot area to go to. Andrea, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. For more information on other Pharma Ventures podcasts, go to www.pharmaventures.com forward slash podcast, where you can also subscribe. Pharma Ventures, the deal experts.